It's my, uh, my privilege now and, uh, to introduce you to uh, Trevor Cole. And he doesn't want any introductions. He's not the sort of guy who'd ever spruik about himself. So somebody else has always got to do it for him. So as soon as I got Trevor here, I knew the name of the, this little gathering this morning would be called Salt of the Earth. Uh, because the bloke that's going to be ministering here to you this morning, he won't speak to your head, but he'll speak to your heart. And uh, it's a salt of the earth message. Uh, he's born to Roxanne, who was born in Claremont. Uh, Trevor became a Christian about 50 years ago, which is uh, longer than a lot of people have been alive here. And, uh, but almost immediately, he just went straight into Sunday school, and he says he ministered wherever he was needed. Isn't that a beautiful thing to say? I ministered to wherever I was needed. And sometimes we offer sometimes, but it's always on our own conditions. And to serve God in our own conditions is actually still serving the God of self. But isn't it great to see people who still do whatever is needed and to meet the needs of the people? And uh, that's what Trevor and Roxanne have been doing out in the back blocks of Charters Tower for three and a half decades. And uh, they're not denominationally bound as the church is all about. Uh, is, it's all about people. So they've been ministering for two to three decades now and pastored with COC, Christian Outreach Centre, the ACC Church, which is the AOG, and in addition to that, the full gospel of Australia. When it needed to be done, they just moved with it. Trevor is a hands-on man with a heart of gold, and you can see that when you look at him. He'll never tell you that, but it's, uh, you can see it for yourself. And uh, he's blessed to do everything and to encourage men in the region and, and women in every aspect of their lives, whether it's a personal family or business out of a, a, what I would call an un, unshakable, rock-solid faith in God that has been tested through the decades of time. So uh, uh, I invite you as you go to be part of a love, love offering for, uh, for Trevor because it's a spiritual principle. When you give to the things of God, you give to the man of God, it releases a spiritual blessing for your own life. And, uh, and so, uh, but uh, uh, Trevor's a diesel mechanic and he's got a workshop about half the size of this block of land. He fixes anything from a whippersnipper to a D9 and everything about twice the size of a D9 these days. There's nothing much. He's got, uh, he's got spanners bigger than me and, uh, in his workshop and, uh, and bigger spanners, if you can believe that. And, uh, and uh, in addition to filling his spare time, he drives road trains and things like that. He is an, a hands-on pastor and for 35 years been ministering to the needs of the people in Claremont. So put your hands together and just welcome... Uh, Trevor, soul of the earth. Bless you. Appreciate it. I'll just uh, got to grab something here. Well, it's so good to see you all, and. Um, some of you I know by name, and some of your names I'm still getting confused, but we've um, been in Charters Towers a number of times over the years. I've never had a speaking role ever in Charters Towers, so this is a, a new for me. And um, in this place, at least, um, we just want to honour your pastor, Pastor Jeff, his good wife, Julianne, and uh, we also honour his predecessor, Pastor Tom and Margaret, that were here and laid the foundation and uh, they are great people of God and personally um, Pastor Tom has now moved on from here but he has been a father in the faith to me and even when I wasn't going perhaps where I should have been going he was still 
a father in the faith and never let me go. I wanted to actually uh, talk about fathers a little bit today and looking around the, the group, maybe I should have um, addressed more grandfathers because most of us probably are, but nevertheless, you're still a father. And uh, many of you will be a husband. Um, I trust no one here is a wife, but you're all husbands. Uh, some people have got gender confusion nowadays. But uh, anyway, I, but I'm not, I don't intend to go there. I didn't intend to say anything about Israel, but I do intend to say this little much that you possibly already know. That God says in the book of Genesis chapter 12 that those that bless Israel, uh, that bless uh, Abraham and Abraham's seed um, will be blessed and those that curse them will be cursed. And then if we talk, take, go to the New Testament and we go to Matthew 25, we'll find that there are sheep nations and goat nations and that, they, and that um, what happens there is even though Israel is not perfect, still isn't perfect even in this day, and they still aren't necessarily a completely Christian nation. They are the apple of God's eye, and God chose them, and Jesus was a Jew. And the thing is, it says there in those verses that God will judge the nations of the earth on the basis of how they treated Israel. And he said, as much as you do it to the least of my brethren, you do it unto me. And if you want your nation to be cursed, it's very easy. Just curse Israel. I was pleased the Prime Minister said we stood with Israel. I thought I didn't know that they would. And uh, I'm pleased when the United uh, States President said uh, we'll stand with Israel. Because if you don't, uh, the, the judgment can be quite swift. In 1492, and I didn't intend to talk about this, and I'm going to get off it in a minute. I'll try to get myself off it, Jeff. But in 1492, the Spanish pretty much run the world. There was a Spanish empire, and the Jews had been dispersed, and their country had gone. Jesus said, you know, the temple will be torn down, and, and you'll be scattered abroad. And they were scattered to the four winds of the earth. But in 1492, the Spanish run the empire all over Europe and around about. And they, um, they were very cruel to the Jewish people that were there. They wouldn't let them own any land. They took everything off them. They incarcerated them into jails. And in 1492, they made the edict uh, that they would, they would have to get out, that they weren't allowed to even be there anymore. They were already in dire straits in that country. And that was what they did to the Jews. But in, 14, but in 1492, they'd taken money from the Jews and given it to a man called Christopher Columbus, who, if you went to the same school that I went to, you would know that he was an explorer. And he discovered, rather by accident, the Americas. And the Americas, I shouldn't really be giving you a history lesson this morning, but I'm in it now, so I might as well finish. The Americas became the fresh haven for the Jews to go to. And America has been a blessed, blessed nation. And um, it's just, a, if, if you want to, um, if you want to do things that undo your nation, just curse the Jews. And you find that every time America started talking about dividing the land and making a Palestinian state, we had things like 
that coincidentally happened like the hitting of the, of the Twin Towers. I, I, I failed to mention, to say that when, when Spain went against the Jews, it was the end of the Spanish Empire. And it was much the same with the Brits when the, the British Empire, when they formed the nation of Israel in 1948, it was a Balfour Agreement after the Second World War, but it wasn't really a nation until 1948. Very unlikely thing to happen, but God said he would gather them from the four winds of the earth. It's written in the Bible, fulfilled. Fulfilled now pretty much, although some still haven't come back and some can't come back because they're too ill to come back. But uh, even, even in 1980, um, uh, Ronald Reagan was president and went over to um, uh, see Mikhail Gorbachev, and he says, it's over, you better release the Jews. And he was instrumental in allowing them to come back into their home country. And God is, ga is gathering. God is gathering, has gathered all those years and still gathering the Jews back into their own land. Are they perfect people? No, they're Judaizers, most of them. They, know they don't even believe in Jesus Christ unless you're a Messianic Jew. But God still holds them as the apple of his eye and still has a plan for that country in the, in the geographic centre of the earth. The thing that, I don't know how many of you are aware, but if you read your Bible and read Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, you will find that in there it talks about the enemies that will be gathered against that country in the end times. And this is a place, that, this is something that has never ever been fulfilled to this point in time. All of God's words have been fulfilled, but this one hasn't been fulfilled up into the day in which we speak. And in that discourse of what he says, that the enemies round about Israel will attack Israel from the northern parts and pretty much from every part. And uh, we find there that um, in those verses that there's going to be war there, that a war that even God steps into himself in the end. And it says that they will be seven months burying the dead and seven years gathering the spoils of war. But that will be the end of the enemies. And if you see them burying the dead for seven months, you know that there's another scripture that God said that's just been fulfilled, an ancient prophecy that has just come to pass. And I don't say necessarily that this is the war of, the, of Ezekiel 30, 38 and 39, but it could be. Because Jesus said there'll be wars and there'll be rumours of wars, but the end is not yet. But there is one of those that are coming that you will know that it's the, it's the real deal. And, uh, I, I'm, but I'm amazed about war. We have a news service these days that tells us whatever they want to tell us. It's fake news pretty much, but they, it goes all over. And they, and, and, but we didn't, we didn't know... Like the Second World War was a little bit before my time. It was in my parents' time. But, you know, there was, there was atrocities and terrible things happened. The Nazis did terrible things. The Third Reich did terrible things back in the Second World War. But do you know this, that, that in that day, there were still people that were married and given in marriage. There were still people here in Australia. Where there were still kids born. There were people that used to be in my church that were born 1940, 1943. The war was in, in full force. And I want to tell you this, that the, the, um, 
life goes on. Life still goes on. And Jesus said in the day of his coming, he said this much. He said that in that day, people will be being married and given in marriage. And I like to paraphrase it and say it this way. It's going to be business as usual, right up to the day. Right up to the day. It's business as usual. It's business as usual. In whatever your business is, and if you're in, uh, in, in Parliament, and Bob, I just want to acknowledge you. Thank, thank you so much for coming this morning. It's business. Whatever your business is, it's um, right up to that day. Don't stop. Don't stop. You just keep going because Jesus says it's business as usual right up to the day. Don't hold back. Move forward. Well, that wasn't anything to do with what I was going to say today. But you spoke on Israel, and thank you for saying that, and I hope I didn't override anything, but I just wanted to put my two bobs worth in. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, how are you all going? You've had a big meal, and you probably all want to uh, roll back and sleep. And um, anyway, I'll try and, I'll try and get started and try and get underway and not hold you, hold you too long. And um, Jeff, if you could just give me the, the T sign when I'm more than done. And, uh, but I'll try, not to, I'll try not to be too long. Um, I ha I, a friend of mine sent me a, um, this is a much lighter note now, but you've got to have light and shade in these sort of meetings. And, um, and a friend of mine sent me a, a little text on the phone, the mobile phone. And uh, it was sort of a little funny story, really. I got the humour out of it anyway, and we've all just had the big meal, but in this little text it had um, a picture of a big grizzly bear, and uh, um, the caption at the top said, uh, the grizzly bear is going on a vegan diet. And uh, then when you read down a little bit further, he said he, it said um, he eats three vegans a day and he feels fantastic. <laughs> I wanted to do something this morning that's a, a bit odd. I've, uh, I guess we've had, um, um, we've been in farming, we've been in all sorts of things over the years, and I don't know whether you noticed how dry it is, but it's dry from one end of the country to the other. And uh, could I, could I have a show of hands? Who's on the land or derives their their um, income from the land? Is there anyone anyone here? Just one, is that all? We've got a few others. Who else was it over here? Someone? Someone on the land? Well, lately, I don't know whether you want it to rain or not, but uh, we, can't, we can't survive without it. Years ago, they talked about recycling our pee, but I don't really go on that idea much. We need rain in this land, and the... the um, um, the, well, I call them evil prognosticators are telling us that we're in El Nino and it can't possibly rain and, and that's probably like stating the obvious because I don't think there's one cloud from one side of the country to the other. But, you know, I, I always say this, I haven't been uh, fantastic at praying for rain, but um, we find that the Bible account is that Elijah was one that prayed for rain and he had the power to open heaven and bring that rain down. And uh, you think, well, that was Elijah. He was a great man of God, but the Bible says he was just a man. Yeah. 
with like passions, same as us. And uh, you, I don't know whether you'll agree with me, but I want, I'm asking people to take a stand of faith today because everyone's saying, oh, there's no rain, there's no rain. And that's just reinforcing what already is. But to pray for rain when there is no sign of rain, that's taking a, a faith stand that you're believing for something to change and something to happen and for the earth to bring forth its fruit once more. And I don't know, maybe not all of you are in position you're, you're able to stand, or maybe you don't want to stand, but I want you as, a, as an act of faith to just stand up in your chairs where you are this morning because we're going to pray for rain along this nation and on this land. And we need a spiritual rain, but we need the natural rain too for the earth to bring forth. And Heavenly Father, we thank you right now for your love and your grace and for the pouring out of the rain. You said you pour it out on the... On the, on the just and also the unjust. And we pray for the fruit of the land to come forth. And we pray for prosperity in our land and the blessing from on high to be on the, on the rain and on the land. We pray for the soaking rain and we pray for the fast rain that fills the catchments and the dams and that there be food in the house. And we thank you that you turn around things that you turn around things for our good. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may take a seat. Right. Well, that's just the formalities of getting started. And, um, yeah, I've probably, probably got a bit to say. Um, well, you normally get in a gathering like this and it's customary to kind of give your... Um, testimony or your life story and all of us have a life story all of us have a journey and uh, uh, mine's probably not much different to anybody else's it's it's uh, I think every life some rain falls some some hard places come and um, there's some good places and some blessed places and we've got that everyone has the story and we probably have our own journey made out, but God has a journey for us that's sometimes different to what we expected and what we thought we were going to do. Sometimes we don't decide what we're going to be, but we discover. We discover what God has for us and what, what our purpose was in life. And um, so that's... Um, so anyway, I thought, I thought I'd try and... Um, Initially, I thought I'd try and write some sort of a testimony and somehow it just didn't seem to be... I will refer to some things, but it just didn't seem to be what was on for today. Um, and uh, so I, I thought you might be interested in my opening remark, though, when I tried to write it. I got the first line, and the first line was that I was born at a young age. And that's as far as I got. But anyway, and we probably all say the same thing, but... That was, that was the best line of the, whole, of the whole deal. But today I wanted to really talk to the fathers and um, uh, I'm a father and so are you, many of you. And um, uh, that's just awesome, of course. And um, the Bible says that in the last days he'd turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. There's lots of dads around in this world today, but there's not many fathers. There's not many who could be called real fathers. And uh, anyway, so I already said I'm not going to refer a lot to my 
own testimony. I got plenty of it. I've been walking with God for 48 years. I haven't always walked perfectly, but I've got plenty. And I still don't, but I've, I've got plenty to say. I really have got plenty that I can share with you. But I wanted to talk, to, I wanted to talk about fathers. And what I wanted to refer to today was I wanted to give you um, a couple of little extracts out of a book that I bought just recently. I'll just grab it. Actually, bef before, I, before I go, um, oh, I might, might leave praying for people till afterwards. I was going to pray for some people first up, but I'll, I'll leave that till afterwards and I'll go into what I'm doing right now. I bought this book recently in Brisbane. I think it's pretty new. It's, um, it's called My Father's Son. It's uh, Wayne Alcorn. I don't know Wayne Alcorn, but he's a, he's a big guru in the ACC churches in that realm. The thing that I, the thing that I bought it for that um, moved me was that uh, he... I knew his father. I knew his father quite well. My father, his father had prayed for me. And there's something about the generations that um, come down from father to son. And uh, so this is called my father's, my father's son. So I'm just going to read a, a, few, a few pages of his story about, about his father. I've got not enough fingers, hold on. So, um, so Alex was his father and um, I knew him in the days when he was a pastor and uh, a great man of God. He's passed on only a couple of years ago and uh, I'd lost track with him the last little while. But he... He typifies a gospel that we preach and um, he typifies a gospel that has power and life-changing stuff that we need in every life, in every person here and in everywhere that we go. So it goes like this. I'd like to start by introducing you to Alex. Over the years, Alex had gained a reputation as the town drunk, well known for going on a bender and raising the roof in his hometown in outback Queensland. At the age of 24, he found himself sitting in a place that had become all too familiar, a cell at the local jail. As Alex sat on a filthy bunk bed, he began a confronting conversation with himself. I've become a person I never wanted to be, he said, as he thought about his life and what he saw as a hopeless future. Alex also wondered what his father had thought of him. He didn't know because he had never been told. And he certainly never told, and, and he was certainly never told he was loved, valued, or respected. Where were the dreams? the hopes and the dreams of life Alex had imagined as a young boy. He began smoking when he was 12 years old, 
and drinking alcohol at 14. When he was 19, his father died. And by the time he was 20, Alex was a chain-smoking alcoholic. His situation continued to deteriorate, in and out of work, always in some kind of trouble, and often in that jail. He remembered one thing his dad once said, the worst thing a man can be is a liar, a drunkard, and a thief. And Alex thought to himself, well, my whole life is made up of these things, the three things his father told him he shouldn't be. No one person in this entire town cares if I live or die, he concluded. In that moment, Alex began to plan how he would take his life. He gave it more thought than he'd given anything in years. Having sobered up, he was released the next morning and returned to work. But all through the day, he could think about just one thing. What was the best way to end his life? Alex lived in shared accommodation with a friend who owned a gun. That night he decided that he would take the gun and use it on himself. Even sober, it seemed the quickest way to end his misery. Alex went looking for the gun, but it wasn't there. He would find out later that it had been lent to a cousin who had gone on a hunting trip and wasn't expected back for a few days. Alex was frustrated. A couple of nights later, he was back downtown again drinking with his mates. It was Sunday night and he was looking to drown his sorrows, maybe have some fun. The same night, that same night, just as they did every week, a small, a, a small bunch of Christians gathered outside the local cafe. They presented a predictable program. Some people would share their personal stories of faith and a small choir would sing. It provided great entertainment for the mocking crowd and Alex had often been one of the hecklers. That night it was the same crowd, the same songs, the same choir, but this time it was going to be different. Something, something moved Alex to respond to the message of hope. Alex, Heavenly Father, stepped in and changed his life forever. This book tells part of Alex's remarkable story and mine. You see, Alex was my father. And I want to just take that a bit further because there's a couple of other pages that relate to the same story. And he says, people don't set out to be alcoholics or drug addicts in what happens to, that it's what happens when we look to the wrong things to give us comfort, to medicate our pain and brokenness, just like Alex did. Alex's life was dark, seemingly helpless after his father died, and at the age of 24, Alex felt empty, purposeless, and suicide seemed a real option. Having consumed a lot of alcohol, he and his friends were in town heckling the Come to Jesus group, who were preaching on the on the street that Sunday night in September 1951. The preacher that evening had one simple truth to share, a truth straight from the words of Jesus. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed, from John 8 verse 36. 
When he had finished, he climbed down off the back of a truck in which he had been standing, and a little choir began to sing a classic old hymn. The chorus went as follows, come home, come home, all you who are weary, come home. Those words hit Alex hard, cutting through his drunken state, straight through to his heart. Come home, he thought to his, uh, himself, why don't I? And so, still very drunk and without shoes or a shirt, Alex began to stagger forward. And as he approached the group of Christians, his friends thought he was going to cause trouble, pick a fight maybe. They were totally unprepared for what happened next. Alex stopped walking, dropped to his knees, down in the gutter. A gentleman from the Christian group approached him and touched him on the shoulder. Would you like to pray the sinner's prayer? Alex didn't know what that was, but he did know he wanted to say something to God. I don't even know if you are real up there, he said, looking up into the night sky. But if you are, just do one thing. Help me get up sober, and I'll believe you for the rest of my life. And he did. He got up sober. The local police sergeant was so excited that Alex, Alex, Alex Alcorn had found religion that he went up to him and hugged him and thanked him for making such a wonderful, a wonderful decision. I suspect that he was always hoping he'd have a little bit less work to do. As a result of that simple prayer, Alex Alcorn became a new man living proof of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. But the pain and the dysfunction did not go away immediately. It never does. How many of you know we don't come out perfect, but still, God's still working with us? It goes on here to say that we are forgiven of our past in an instant, and the challenge remains to live out our faith daily. We learn that this is possible because the Holy Spirit helps us to navigate an exciting new life. When Alex stood up on Sunday night, he began a journey walking with the Lord, which continued for the next 70 years. He discovered the Father's heart. And I want to just give one final section to this story. God will take you the way you are but he won't leave you the way you are. He leads us on a journey that will heal our hearts and help us heal others. Forgiveness is our Father's signature. It's his signature move. It's the first step he takes with us as we walk with him. On a beautiful sunny Brisbane morning, I chatted with my dad over a cup of tea. I listened as he told me what happened after he gave his life to Jesus. And this is, this is what he said. After I kneeled in the gutter and gave my life to Jesus, I began a journey walking with the Lord that continued for the next 70 years. Few thought my decision would last. After all, I was drunk at the time. My life was a mess and it showed. And when I was saved, I was the talk of the town but there were a number of speed bumps along the way. A short time later, I went to work for a pest exterminator in Barcaldon in outback Queensland. 
This was where the Holy Spirit spoke to me about going to Bible college. The very thought of it frightened the daylights out of me. So like Jonah, I ran away from the thought. Then one day I was walking past a hotel. I felt tempted to go in and have a beer. My instant reply was, you know I don't drink. Then I sensed the Holy Spirit say, well, you might as well, because you won't do as you're told. I caught the very next train to Brisbane where the college was. Attending the Bible college was a big challenge. I was a country boy at heart, hardly knew anything about theology or the scriptures. Mixing with all those people who already knew the Bible backwards was intimidating. I didn't even know where the book of Revelation was. What have I let myself into, I wondered. Even though Alex felt out of his depth, he persevered. That first step of going to Bible college might have been hard, but it set him on a journey that changed not only him, but the Alcorn family and many others. It was, however, one step at a time. And for all of us, it is one step at a time. Overcoming the pain of abandonment or abuse or dealing with unresolved conflicts, particularly with our fathers, is never a single event. It's a journey. And let's face it, while some journeys may be short, most take considerable time. The Holy Spirit will guide you and teach you all things that's promised from your Father. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Let's look at how, how guided by the Holy Spirit you can take steps on your journey with the Lord. And my life too has been a, a, um, a journey step by step, a place of more overcoming with the help of the Lord at my side than it has been the Lord delivering me out of the conflicts and the things that have happened. And, um, and so it goes on. But I, I, I read that story because that's the old-fashioned gospel. That's the old-fashioned gospel message that can change your life forever and give you a home in heaven. And it's, it's not to be put down. If you, if you will accept Jesus Christ into your life, and I'm sure many of you and perhaps most of you already have, it's a change in an instant from, da from darkness to daylight. It's a change. You get translated. That part is instant. But the rest of it, you work, you, your life gets worked out inch by inch and mile by mile and precept by precept you go through with it. I felt just to add one little story that adds to that. It's just written here on the next page. It's Sam's story, different man now. But I was sitting in the front row of a church watching a singer at a Christmas event. One of the songs was about a little girl whose dad had left the family. It describes how her father how the father needs to take a second job to pay alley money. Alley money, I discovered, is money that the court orders you to pay uh, to your uh, ex-spouse and maintenance for the family. So he finds work as a Santa in a shopping centre. One day he sees his nine-year-old daughter in line. He panics, but he realises he is disguised 
by his Santa suit. So he masks his voice with a cheery ho, ho, ho as the little girl sits on his knee. The little girl tells Santa that all she wants is for her father to be home for Christmas. And it's a, it's a, it's a, moving, it's a moving story, but the, God, but the God of heaven, who is the greatest father of all, is calling for fathers to be fathers. And of course, this man's, this man's story, um, it's changed his generation. It's, his generation has changed, and his children. His father was changed from that one decision where he dropped to his knees in a drunken state, and God changed everything else. And uh, so he spent his life reaching uh, youth in this country, nationwide. Uh, that's the son, not the father that I've shared, but I don't actually know this man, I only know his father. I remember him praying for me on numerous occasions. And as a minister, sometimes you don't feel real good on Monday, and he was, you've given everything you got on Sunday, and one Monday I was there with him having a cup of tea, and he was looking, he was reading the paper, you know, back when we used to get papers in those days? And uh, he was reading the obituary column. And his wife came up and he said, what are you reading the obituary column for? He said, I was just checking my name wasn't there. <laughs> and he was quite a humorous kind of a man. I remember him saying one day about how he preached. And there was a, he was on a platform, but there was a little gate sort of behind the platform. But he stepped back a few paces and all of a sudden he was gone. He just missed he went flat on his back and was out of the, out of the picture. But anyway, that is, that is the story that so parallels in some ways my story. Uh, I didn't have the alcoholic part. We all have our own demons to fight. Uh, but I was, a, I was a farmer and I only ever wanted to be a farmer. I remember being a young man, probably in my teens or my early 20s, and feeling that the Lord would have me to go to Bible college. And I, I still remember the paddock I was ploughing in at the time. I still remember the tractor I was driving and I had such a love for farming I managed to talk myself out of it. But um, 20 years later, uh, about 20 years later it would have been, I was in Bible college. And um, it's, uh, I run away from it in those days, I certainly didn't want to do it. Being a preacher or a teacher wasn't on my bucket list of things. That God has a journey. God has a journey for us, and it's not always what we think. And um, so I, I ended up um, pretty much going broke with the aid of the drought and other things, and um, bank foreclosing not completely. I wasn't declared bankrupt, but had to go out of it. And uh, my father managed to stay there, and it was quite a story. We went to uh, Roma for a time, and uh, I became a taxi driver for a short time. Uh, wasn't my thing, but you have to do what you have to do. At that stage, I had four children, or I had three and became four while I was there. And uh, I, I was working with people that were pretty much drunks. We did the pub, pub crawl on Friday night. I took them from one hotel to the next. And I think the Lord might have been teaching me how to love people. And he took me from there. And I thought, well, I can't do farming anymore. The doors are all closed. And I thought, well, I'll 
I'll try. I think I'd better give the Lord a go. And I was like Jonah, I run away. I was like this man that run away. But in the end, God gets his man. How many of you know that if, you, if you're in the belly of a fish for three days, you kind of change your mind, it gets your attention, and you turn around? So we went down to Brisbane and made this announcement that we were going to Bible college. The pastor I had at the time managed to sign the dotted line that allowed you to go. I didn't think he would, but he said, you thought I wouldn't. I said, yeah, I didn't think you'd do it, but he did. And um, so we went down there and um, uh, we, we couldn't go easily. You know, we've been through knocks and bumps. We've known what it's like to be financially short more times than not. And um, I had no way of getting there. And I was, as well as driving a taxi, I was working for a freight company and the good man that owned the freight company said, how are you going to get down there? I said, I have no idea. I, I remember I told my wife at one stage, I think I've got enough finances to get to Campbell's Hill. Campbell's Hill's about 2K out of Roma. Uh, it's where the Surratt turnoff is, if you know that part of the country. And I said, I think I've got enough money to get to Campbell's Hill. Anyway... Anyway, this man that I worked for said, how, how are you going to get there? I said, I've got no idea. And he said, I'll give you my truck. And he filled it with fuel. He said, all you've got to do is put fuel in it and leave fuel in it when it comes back. And he gave me, my tr he gave me a truck. And I, that's how I got to Brisbane. And um, so when I got there, I didn't have enough money to pay my college fees. So uh, they called me into the office and they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just faithing it through. But even though it's a faith organisation, they, they weren't, they weren't uh, willing to, to go on that. And they said, you'll have to have a job. And I said, I know I'll have to have a job. And they said, well, you're going to vacuum the church. So it was only about half an acre. But uh, they had me vacuuming. And uh, that started there one stage I was driving for uh, Peter's ice creams at night in a truck and I've, you name it I've almost done it and it, it's just out there but God has provided and we're still not financially in in a great way we we're like many of you we live from week to week but God has always provided and he's actually blessed me with a wonderful family he's actually blessed me with a family that have come to Christ and it's been a wonderful wonderful journey and we're talking about going on and things being business as usual. I've not only a grandfather, but I've got, um, I'm about to become a great grandfather in this next year. And um, two at once. And so that's sort of, you know, that's putting the pressure on. That's really putting the pressure on. And it's making me feel old, but we have been so blessed. We've just been so blessed. And um, so, but I wanted to, I wanted to just share that about about fathers, about men being fathers and being there for your children and how one decision, doing what you can do, can change generations. My, my family generations are all changed. They're not all walking with the Lord as, they, as I would like them to be, but they are all changed because of the decision that I made back there. And uh, I remember when I was 18 years old, I'd just come to the end of myself. 
You know, there's no meaningless details in the Bible. And um, there was a, uh, there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It said, the, the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord, and his train filled the temple. And you'd listen to that verse and you'd think, well, that's just a piece of useless information, but there's no useless details in the Bible. Why is that important? Why, is I, why did Isaiah see the Lord in that year? Because prior to that, he was trusting in, in King Uzzah. And when the earthly man had died out and he wasn't there, in the year that he died, he saw the Lord. There had to be something bigger. There had to be something better. And he suddenly realised his sin and he said, I'm, I'm undone and I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the Bible records that one of those fiery angels, those seraphims, took a coal off the fire and burnt his lips and touched his lips, not burnt his lips. And he's a different man. And he says, he says his, his countenance and everything is pretty much immediately changed. And he says, the, the, the question is, who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me. Here am I. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go and take your message. I'm ready to go and do your bidding. And that's exactly what happens when you're touched with the power of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that is, is everlasting and it's a kingdom with great power. It's over the power of all else. And um, so that probably, that probably sums it up. How many of you have been here, I wonder, for the first time? You've never been to a breakfast like this? Is there, I have been to one before. Is this the first one for you? There's a couple here for your first time. And uh, so that's just awesome that you're here. I wanted, to, I, want to, I wanted to pray for some people this morning. If you, if you have to go, well, I understand we're up to 10 o'clock. But uh, I wanted to pray for some people. Uh, just, if you just give me a moment before anyone moves out. If there's anyone here that you've never, you've never bowed that knee, you've never said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, you've never given your life to Christ or you've gone back from it, if you're just not running with it at the moment, you're not one with Christ at the moment, but you'd like to be today. You'd, you're here today and you'd say, well, I'd like to say yes to Jesus Christ. And I'm sure most of you have said yes many times over the years and that you're walking with God. But we can't close a meeting at all without, without giving an opportunity for you to come to the throne of grace. It's not about where you've been. It's not about where Alex has been. It's about where you're going to that's so important. So if that's you today, would you, if you, you would like to raise your hand if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never come and said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. If there's anyone here like that, I'd love to pray with you and invite you into a, through a prayer that will, if you believe it, will change everything because the Holy Spirit does amazing things and we just welcome the Holy Spirit's presence. Um,